And so as we continue our Unleash series, teaching series for this summer, we're going to talk about uh, unleashing uh, or uh, unleash being honest with God. Now we've heard, at least I always have, and I'm sure most of you have as well, uh, this phrase, honesty is the best policy, right? Y'all have heard that before, haven't you? And so the thing is, do we really believe that? Do we believe that honesty is the best policy? I'm going to challenge that this morning. And so if you're a married man today, would you agree that honesty is the best policy? But before you answer that question, let me just say, how do you answer when your wife comes in the room and asks you about how she looks in a particular dress? Is honesty always the best policy? You guys are awfully quiet there this morning. See, I believe that we agree with that in theory, but not always in practice. And and what I mean by that is that a lot of times we struggle with honesty. We struggle with honesty with people. And I think the reason that we do that is because we want to save face. We want to put forth or project the very best ideal of who we want to be. Not necessarily who we are, but who we want to be. And so when we project something that we're not, we're just trying to save face. We're trying to make ourselves look better maybe than we really are with people. And so what happens is that spills over into our relationship with God. And there are times that we're just not honest with God, not because we want to save face with him, but because when, when, we, uh, when we're honest with God, then we have to deal with this thing called shame. Because there are times that when we are with the Lord or in the presence of the Lord that we are acutely aware of the things that we have done or maybe better yet, the things that we have left undone. And so what happens is, is that now we are ashamed before God because we know who we really are. And so with that shame, there's shame's really good friend, guilt. And everywhere you find shame, you will find guilt, his really good friend right there uh, coming alongside. And so as we stand ashamed before the Lord, we carry this guilt and shame with us. So it's with that in mind that we now turn our attention to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's just really open and honest confession before God. Now understand this, when David pens this, he is the king of Israel. He is the most powerful man in the world. And if it teaches us anything, David's confession in in Psalm 51 teaches this, that if the king of Israel, the most powerful man in in the known planet at that time, had to come before the Lord in confession, then why do we think that we can escape it? If, if David sees the need for confession and honesty before God, then, then we also should see the need for honesty and confession before God as well. So let's look at what David writes, or better, what David prays before the Lord. Psalm 51, let me invite you, as you're able, to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word together. And this is what David uh, writes. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. 
Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You would not plead, be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Do you hear the urgency in David's voice? You see what happens as he is not only confronted with his sin, but how he confronts it and the earnestness with which he pleads with the Lord to cleanse him and make him pure. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, you are good and you are gracious. We are Thankful to be able to come to your word in humility today. God, I pray you help us understand the importance of honesty before you and the importance of honesty with ourselves, and the importance of honesty with uh, others. Lord, help us and, and teach us the importance of this discipline of confession and prayer. God, it's, a, it's difficult. Confession is so hard because we are confronted with our shortcomings and failings. But I pray that, that through our, our study today, that we will see confession not so much uh, uh, in, our, in our failings, but, Lord, as a celebration of your mercy and your grace. And so, Lord, draw us in now by your Holy Spirit to sit quietly before your word and allow your spirit to teach us today. God, I pray that we would come to you in humility now, that we would hear and receive and act upon the word that you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much. So as David begins this prayer, he, he helps us to see some things that are really important in, in not just our relationship with God, but in our prayer life. And, and very simply, it's this word, honesty. Honesty is such a necessary uh, characteristic for us to have as followers of Jesus Christ. And so where David begins in verses 1 through 5 is just simply this, is that we have to come to the point where we will be honest about God and we will be honest about ourselves. We've got to be honest about who God is and what he's done. We've got to be honest about ourselves and, and our relationship with him. And so as we begin here, David just begins to point, out, uh, point some things out to us about who God is. He says, have mercy on me, O God. And so just in that statement, David is teaching us that our God is a merciful God. David would not be calling out for mercy to an unmerciful God. That would make any sense. But he says, have mercy on me, O God. So he sees that God is merciful. And so God's mercy is the direct result of, as David will go on and teach us in verse 1, of God's steadfast love for us. And so let's just define mercy really quickly. Mercy, mercy simply is this. It is not getting what I deserve. Mercy is, is not getting what I deserve. We deserve separation from God because of our sin. We deserve the, the righteous judgment of God, but, but God does not give us that. Instead, God extends his steadfast love to us, and, and not only that, but he invites us into a relationship with him. 
And so David points out and makes it so clear to us that God is abundant in mercy. Okay, And so what that means for us is that you will never exhaust God's mercy. You will never reach the ends of God's mercy. God is merciful, and he abounds in mercy. And so what we find kind of implied in this idea uh, or this truth of God being merciful is that God is also gracious. God is a gracious God. He is the source of all grace. And so where mercy is not getting what we deserve, Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Let's look at it in the context of forgiveness and judgment. I do not deserve God's forgiveness. I do not deserve God's love. I I do deserve, though, his wrath, and I do deserve his judgment. But God withholds that from us and extends to us forgiveness by his grace so that our relationship with him can be restored. And God's grace is an everlasting grace. And just as you will not uh, exhaust God's mercy, you will not exhaust God's grace either. And the forgiveness that accompanies God's God's grace is a complete forgiveness. It is whole and it is total in every way. And what David teaches us is that where there is complete forgiveness, there is complete cleansing. Look what he says in verse two. He says, blot out my transgressions in the end of verse one. And he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And so where there is complete forgiveness from God, there is a complete cleansing or a washing away of our sin and all of its consequences. Listen, there is, uh, there is no sin that is outside the bounds of God's grace. And some of you are sitting there this morning and you may find that hard to believe because you know you. And you know what you've done or you know what you've thought or what you've considered or maybe even carried out in your life and you say there's no way that God could forgive me for that thing God could never forgive me for the adultery that I've committed God could never forgive me for the drunkenness that I uh, indulge myself in God would never forgive me for this thing or that thing for the way I view people who are different than I am but did you hear what I just said that there is no sin that is beyond the reach of God's grace And just as God offers His grace to you so generously, He does so so that you can receive that grace and be cleansed from that sin. And so just as God is merciful and God is gracious, we see that His mercy and grace is carried forward by His steadfast love for you. It's a love that never wavers. It's a love that never changes. God will never love you more and he will never love you less because his love is all-encompassing. He gives you all of his love that you could ever need, want, or desire. And so we've got to be honest with ourselves first about who God is. Yes, God is, is our judge, but he's a righteous judge. God is a God who loves us and, and seeks for the very best for us and desires to pour out his mercy and his grace through his love upon us. That's who God is. And so if we're going to deal honestly with God, then we also need to deal honestly with ourselves. And and what that means is that we need to be honest about our need for God's mercy and grace. We've got to be honest with ourselves about that. And so what that means is that we have to acknowledge and accept our sinfulness. I mean, David does this right here. He addresses his need for forgiveness. He says, wash me and make me clean. Give me a clean heart, O Lord. You know, purge me with hyssop and all of these things. And so what prompts David to write such a thing as this? Well, it's because he was confronted with his own sin. In, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2 Kings chapter 12, there's an interaction that happens between him and his friend Nathan. 
Nathan is, is, is his spiritual advisor, if you will. And following David's sin with Bathsheba, Nathan comes to David and he tells him a story. He tells him the story of a man who's very wealthy, who has a hundred sheep, and his neighbor is, is not wealthy at all. He only has one sheep. And they treat that sheep like it's part of their family. I mean, it sleeps in the house with him and he cares for him, just like he, as he would one of his own children. And, and a friend comes to visit the wealthy man. And the wealthy man wanting to uh, put on a, a barbecue for his friend doesn't take a sheep from his own flock. No, he goes and steals the one from his neighbor, the one and only sheep that his neighbor has. He takes and he cooks and prepares a meal for his friend. And hearing this, the, the anger wells up in David. He's like, man, we're fixed. tell me where this guy is. We're going to go exact some justice on this guy. And David, lo- I mean, excuse me, Nathan looks him in the eye. And I believe he takes his finger and puts it right in David's chest. And he says, you are the man. David was confronted with his own sin with Bathsheba, taking what was not his, what was Uriah's, and claiming it as his own. And in the wake of that confrontation with his sin, David pins these words. And so David acknowledges and he understands that sin is like this barricade that separates us from God. And, and, and the only thing that can, can cross that barricade is our confession, is our honesty with God about who we are. And so, listen, I want you to understand something this morning. So long as you continue to pursue secret sin instead of pursuing God, your life will be unfulfilling and unfulfilled. Did you hear that? As long as you continue to pursue secret sin, Instead of pursuing God, your life will be unfulfilling and unfulfilled. And so, therefore, let's be honest with ourselves about our own sin struggles. Now, I say it that way because we're really good at identifying the sin struggles in the lives of other people, but we do a really poor job at identifying it in ourselves. And so, this morning, I know some of you are sitting here going, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. They really need to hear this sermon. As soon as the podcast comes out on Monday, I'm going to send it to them because they need to hear this. This message isn't for them. This message is for you. You're here. And so we need to be honest with ourselves about our own sin. And what happens is, is when we're honest with our sin, as we're confronted with it, that acknowledgement of our need for God's grace and forgiveness, it leads us to confession. And that confession leads us, as David so eloquently puts it here, to our, uh, to our cleansing. And, and, and when we are clean before, the God, before God, it's like these scales are removed from our eyes and we're able to see clearly to know and do the will of God to be obedient to him. And, and so as we acknowledge not only that we're sinners, here's what we're acknowledging. That I am, I am worthy and I am deserving of God's judgment. You thought I was going to say grace. We don't deserve grace. I am so deserving of God's judgment. In fact, David says, you are justified, O Lord, in your judgment against me. And so apart from this confession of your sin, there is no cleansing from the Lord. Every one of us is worthy, deserving of God's judgment. We are deserving of this everlasting and eternal separation from God because that barricade of sin continues to exist. It's what we have earned. That's why Paul says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you earn. I mean, you guys understand that. You do a job, you earn a wage, you get paid for the work that you do. And so as we do or commit sin, 
then we are, we are earning or heaping death upon ourselves. But let's not lose sight of who God is. God is merciful. God is gracious and God is loving and he invites you to confess your sin. He just says, would you just acknowledge and own your sin? And he invites you to turn away from that way of living to repent is the word that we would use, a turning away or a changing of the mind so that we can be restored into right relationship with him because that's the only way. So I want to pause this morning. I want to ask you this question. I want you to listen very closely to what I'm about to ask you. What do you need to be honest with God about this morning? What do you need to be honest with God about this morning? Maybe it's who you are and your online identity. Maybe it's that secret life that no one else knows about. Maybe it's that addiction or maybe it's that hang-up that you just continue to find yourself going to when things get difficult. It's the way that you medicate Things. What is it that you need to be honest with God about this morning? Why do we ask a question like that? That's a hard question. Why do we need to ask a question like that? Well, it's, it's because of what uh, David is getting to in verses 6 through 12. He says, Behold, you, O Lord, delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And so here's, the, here's what we learn is that we find freedom in the truth. We find freedom in the truth. God delights in truth because he is truth. God delights in truth because where there is truth or where there is honesty, there is freedom. And we find ourselves, so many of us, that we are bound up by our secret sin, that we cannot be or do or go uh, to the places that God is calling and sending us because we've believed a lie, and we always have. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve believed a lie. And they gave themselves to that lie. There are some of you that are, who are sitting here this morning and you, you have believed the lies that people or your parents or your children or your friends or our culture have told you about yourself. You continue to perpetuate that lie and it binds you up and keeps you from living in the truth. You see, see if you agree with this string of statements. Where there is sin, there will be shame. That's true, isn't it? We know that the moment that we sin, that shame comes right along with that. Where there is shame, there is guilt. Where there is guilt, there is doubt. Where there's doubt, there is fear. And where there's fear, there's bondage. Follow that again with me. Where there's sin, there is shame. Where there's shame, there is guilt. Where there's guilt, there is doubt. Where there's doubt, there is fear. Where there's fear, there is bondage. Remember what Paul said? He says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-control. He says, I have broken that chain of bondage. If you will hear and listen to the truth and respond to it in faith, I will break the chain that is binding you and keeping you from being my devoted follower. And so, as we find ourselves in this bondage, we are trapped and we are ensnared and we are captive. Some of you feel that way this morning. You're, captive, you're held captive by your secret lifestyle of sin. But the way to freedom is through simple, honest confession. And here's the thing. It's not that you're informing God of what you've done. He already knows that. I don't know if you know that or not, but God already knows. So he's not going to be surprised and go, oh my gosh. He already knows. But here's what happens in confession. 
In confession, you are not informing God. You are agreeing with him. And you are acknowledging and owning your failings and your shortcomings. Okay? And so as we learn from the Lord, we find that there is freedom in the truth. It says that he delights in truth. And so therefore he says, just be honest with me. And where there is truth, wisdom results. Psalm 111.10 says that the fear of the Lord or the reverence or respect and honor uh, and wonder of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the first step into wisdom. And so what happens is as we acknowledge uh, that sin uh, and, and have an understanding of it, then God gives us the wisdom to deal with it. So last week, Clay talked about temptation. We're now talking about what happens when we choose to sin. This is the after effect. Now we have to deal with that. And the way that we deal with that is, is through confession. And so where we find freedom in the truth, there's a cleansing that happens. God makes us clean or he makes us spotless by his grace and his forgiveness. Listen, we all are in need of God's forgiveness because we all have sinned against him and him alone. David points that out for us in verse four, doesn't he? He says, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. And so we think that, that we commit sins against people. No, we commit sins against God and people feel the effects of it. And so listen to the words that David uses here. Look at verse seven. He says, purge me with hyssop. Okay, so think about what's happening here. David is, is going back to Exodus, to Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover because in that day they would have slaughtered a lamb, taken a hyssop branch, dipped it in the blood, spread it on the doorpost and then entered into the home. And so David is saying, Lord, make me clean that your judgment may pass over me. Remove That word purge means to remove every spot from or to get completely rid of. He, he goes on. And he says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Here's the next one. And blot out my iniquities. That idea of blotting out means to completely cover over in such a way that it can never be seen again. And so for us, now living after the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, here's what happens. We ask God to forgive our sin and, and he basically covers over us with the blood of Jesus. It, it covers over and removes our sins so that God no longer sees that. It's removed from sight. Then he says this in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What is this clean heart? That clean heart is a heart that is inclined toward God alone, and it is no longer inclined toward sin. And so when we are clean before God, here's what happens. It results in our renewal and our restoration and our rejoicing. Listen, may we never underestimate or take for granted God's forgiveness. May we never make light of God's grace because that is the only thing that can redeem, restore, and renew. God renews a right spirit in us. And so what that means is that upon that confession of Jesus Christ of our Savior and, and that continued confession of our sin as we grow in Christ, that, that God does this thing. He puts his Holy Spirit in the life of those who uh, have professed their faith in him. Look, I can't explain that. I, I don't know how that happens or what that looks like, but I do know the effects of it. And the effects of a life that is indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God is a life that has lived completely different than anything else you have ever seen, thought, or imagined. It is a life that is completely devoted to the Lord and one that is willing to obey him at every turn. When we are clean before God, God restores relationships. He restores our relationship with him first and then he restores the relationships uh, that we have with other people. 
I've seen those who have given their life to Christ whose marriages were almost completely obliterated and God restored and gave that marriage back. Families who were completely separated and God brought them back. Communities that were devastated, that were brought together under the banner of Christ. Churches that that despised even being together are now brought together under the grace of Jesus Christ because the relationship with Jesus was restored first. But the great thing is that it restores our joy. It renews within us the joy of our salvation. If someone was just to observe your life, not listen to the words that you say, but just merely watch the way that you live, would they see the joy of Jesus Christ in you? I'll make it even easier. If someone was to come and just merely to observe our times of worship gatherings together, would they be able to see the joy of Jesus Christ as you gathered together with the body of Christ in worship to him? Or would they say, that is the saddest lot of people I've ever seen in my life. We have a great hope in Jesus Christ that foundationally and fundamentally changes who we are by, and, and fills us with joy. And and so listen, you've been confronted with truth today, but in that truth, there is freedom. Paul, uh, excuse me, David continues in verse 13, and he shows us the after effects of our cleanness. Once we've been made clean before God, God sends us out. We, We think that discipleship and disciple making is a new construct of the New Testament. Absolutely not. Discipleship is what happens here in verse 13. Look at it. He says, then As a result of all these things in the first 12 verses, I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. That's discipleship. I'm going to begin to share with people the thing that you have done in my life, O Lord, and teach them your ways that they too may follow you. And so here's what happens. As we are honest with God and we are honest with ourselves, it leads us to this. Honesty with God leads us to be honest with others. That's not a popular idea today, is it? We don't want people to be honest. We want them to lie to us and make us feel good. But we need honesty and we need truth. And so honesty with God leads to honesty with others. We we teach people the importance of honesty. And the way that we do that is we teach them from our own experience of confession. We, We teach freedom by living free in Christ. Because you can't teach someone something that you know nothing about. So Paige has a degree in English, and when we were early in our marriage, she, she taught high school English. And, and one of her favorite things to teach was Shakespeare. Still not really sure about why. But, but if I had to go and fill in on one of her classes for a semester and teach Shakespeare, those kids would be as lost at the, beginning of the semester, at the end of the semester as they were at the beginning. I don't get Shakespeare. He uses these words that nobody uses anymore, and he has these themes that are way above my head. I don't get it. I can't teach them Shakespeare because I don't know anything about him or the things that he wrote. At the same time, if Paige was to come and teach a class on accounting, I might agree in accounting, come teach a class in accounting, she could probably do okay till we got to some of the higher level things, you know, chain of, uh, you know, chain of distribution and cost accounting and even some levels of corporate tax accounting. I can't do that stuff anymore. That's why I preach. (laughs) But here's the thing. She doesn't know a lot about those kinds of things. And that's no knock on her, but here's the thing. We can't teach people things we don't know anything about. And so how are you going to teach someone to live free in Christ when you continue to live in the bondage of your sin? You can't. You have to teach from the place of which you know. And so you teach honest confession by being honest about your confession. 
It's for some reason, we have this idea that we think we have it all together. At least that's the idea that we want to share with people. Man, my life is good. Man, things are perfect. Things are, are great. I think the Bible would take exception with that ideology, though. Because the Bible teaches us simply this, that all of our lives, all of us, we're a mess. And we are in need of a Savior. No one's perfect. But I will tell you this. If you've committed your life to Jesus Christ and are pursuing him each and every day, you may not be perfect, but God is putting you on the pathway to becoming perfect. You're not perfect, but you're on the way to perfection. I think that's why James exhorts us in James 5.16. He says, confess your sins one to another so that you may pray for one another. How many of you guys are regularly doing this? Confessing your sins one to another. That's pretty much what I thought. We have a hard time doing that because we want to save face, right? We want, we want people to know and think that we've got it all together and that our lives aren't messed up. And so we continue to purvey this lie that we all know is a lie. See, part of confessing our sin one to another is to, is to make that confession that we don't have it all together. The reason we don't do it is because we continue to struggle with inadequacy and shame. You want to know the good news this morning? God has overcome both of those things. God has overcome inadequacy and God has overcome your shame. That, that's why Paul writes in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so as we share our own story of confession, we share about why it's important and the impact it had on us and the transformation that came forth. And so we then begin to encourage others to that end to experience through confession God's goodness and his love and his grace. That means that there are going to be times that we sit down and we formally teach people from God's word. But there are going to be other times that we are, we are going to teach uh, as we model that. We're going to teach them from our own experiences and I would say even our own mistakes that we've made along the way. We're going to teach them by mentoring, say you come alongside and, and walk with me as we do this together. And, and here's the thing. Confession is an ongoing process. If you think that you can confess one time and be good, you've missed it. Because God continues to peel the layers of our life back and he shows us things, you know, now that we never realized five years ago were struggles in our own life. And so as we kind of bring this thing to a close this morning, here's what we see. I want to ask you this question before, before I, time gets away. Earlier we asked you, what do you need to be honest with God about today? Here's the second question. The second question is this. Who do you need to share honest confession with? Who do you need to share honest confession with? Because there's a part that obviously we need to share that with God. But did you hear what I said earlier? We sin against God, but the collateral damage is with people. And that means that there are some people we need to go and we need to confess some things to. That either we've committed against them or thought against them so that that relationship can be restored. And, and there's a result that happens of our honesty with God and our honesty with people. And, and what happens is, is that we are then able to engage in honest worship. We, listen, you cannot be honest in your worship until you have been honest about your sin. You can sing all the songs that we put up here about our unashamed love and, and, you know, that God is an unstoppable God. You can say all of those words, but if you have not dealt honestly with your sin, those words are not honest words. Honest worship is not about just merely the outward practice. It's about the inward pursuit. Our confession, uh, with our confession, 
comes a, a restored relationship with God. But more than that, there's this desire to pursue him. And so let's look really quickly at what God desires. Look at verse 17. Actually, let's look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, and not be pleased with a burnt offering. These are outward expressions of worship. But, but what David is getting at, he says, look, these are not the things that you really desire. These are not the things that truly please you. Verse 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Do you know what that is? That's humility. You want to please God, it comes from our humility. A broken and contrite heart, a repentant heart, is, is, is what God will not despise. God doesn't care so much about what you can do and the show you can put on. He cares about the attitude of your heart. And so a clean heart is one that pursues God, one that seeks to please him. And, and here's what happens so often. We, we are so busy pursuing the things of God that we fail to pursue God. The Bible calls that idolatry because we have put something in a place that is reserved for God alone. Let's stop pursuing the things of God and begin pursuing God himself. Maybe that's your confession today. You need to come to the Lord and say, God, I've, I've, I've pursued the, your stuff. I, I've pursued the things that, that, you know, you, that you have for me instead of pursuing you. One of the most challenging aspects of prayer is confession. And I think the reason that we struggle with it so much is because it makes us acutely aware of our failings and our shortcomings, which is true. But I want you to see confession in a different light this morning. Not only does confession make you aware of your failings and your shortcomings, but here's where it really comes, comes to fruition, is that confession makes us acutely aware of God's goodness, of His grace, and His mercy, and His love, and His forgiveness. That's what confession does. You see, we will never enjoy a healthy relationship with God apart from confession. And we will really never enjoy a healthy relationship with other believers apart from confession. And I would even go so far as to say that you will never enjoy a healthy relationship within yourself apart from confession. Listen, confession's difficult, but it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile. Because it is this ongoing practice of our Christian discipleship. And so then let us practice it regularly. What does that look like? It's simply this. It's coming before the Lord in humility. It's coming clean before the Lord, confession, being honest with him about ourselves, so that we can be made clean by the Lord. It's coming before the Lord, coming clean before the Lord, so that we can be made clean by the Lord. As I close this morning, I just want to remind you of one thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where there is confession, there is not condemnation.